In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books. Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. My name is Josh Buckley, and my podcast Pokemon... And my name is Travis Ratz. ...is Travis Ratz. <laughs> Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast, where we talk about comic books. Uh, usually every other week, we do a trader graphic novel. We bring a guest on. We, we have them read it. Uh, that's not this week. <laughs> this week is a very... I'm excited about this week. You, you made a new friend. I did. That we're going to introduce later. Um... It's we're in the throes of our summer read. We are in the throes of summer. We, read. I, we're reading some good books. Everyone is very different from the next. Yeah, um, I, I'm really liking the list that we we picked out for the summer. Which let's go over. Let's go over it again one let's, more time. Let's talk about it. There's I Hate Fairyland. That's already that. out there. That's the first book of summer. You go back. Hot. It it's should be the one right there. before this. Yeah, you should go listen to it. Scotty Young listened to it. Scotty Young listened. He did. He loved it. So you should too. <laughs> uh, Descender. 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 That's out next week. Yeah, that's out next week. That's good stuff. I mean. I Hate Fairyland, Descender, couldn't be more different books. No, not at then all. Then we're going, then uh, no particular order, we got Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant's coming up? I've been I've been really into Macho Man Randy Savage hey, lately. What's with your, so before we move on, what's with your What's with your newfound love of Macho so, Man Randy Savage? People have like, uh, I've seen a couple people, random people post um, clips of Macho Man Randy Sa- Savage like yeah. on uh, Facebook uh, with jokes to him. And then I, I would um, look on these videos that that dude is a genius showman. Oh yeah. I mean, screw Conor McGregor, screw Muhammad Ali. This guy is the athlete of the 21st century, man. <laughs> he he doesn't make any sense. He'll go in and he'll be like, "Don't look at me, don't look at me cuz I'm the greatest and I'm the best, but I bought a bus ticket and I'm here to tell you it's on." And you're like, "What? <laughs> What's the bus ticket for?" Yeah, I, I, I open the freezer and I get warm. And you're like, "What?" <laughs> That's how cool he is. Man. Yeah. That's how like, cool he is. I was trying to um, Bone Saw is ready. <laughs> so we're reading Under the Giant. It's a pretty, uh, pretty great, uh, pretty great book that we're talking about. Uh, we're gonna talk about that one. We've got a f- fairly indie book, the most indie book I think we've done. Um, all my ghosts, oh. I pray for someone like you. <laughs> we're doing All My Ghosts uh, out from Alternate Comics, uh, and actually, I'm doing an interview with the author of All My Ghosts uh, this week. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so I'm doing an interview. You got keeping the loop. I know, right? So I'm doing an interview with uh, with the author of all my ghosts. So it's going to be good. I'm going to kind of talk to him about the process, and then be able to bring it up when we talk about it together for for the for the uh, for the episode. Uh, then uh, we've got Doctor Strange and Paper Girls to round Man, it all out. Yeah. Oh my God. So much good stuff. All different. One's in front of the next. Guys, go on the Amazon. Buy, buy, these, buy books. these books. They're all cheap. They're all except for Andre. Andre might be a little more expensive, huh? I don't know. You might be. Able, I don't remember. I bought it. I bought. I read it a while ago. But I, it's been one that I've wanted to do on the show, but just haven't found the time. You know who our guest is? Our guest for Andre the Giant is a legit indie wrestling announcer. He's an announcer. He announces like indie wrestling matches. I didn't know this either. All over. Are, what do you? What machinations are you planning behind the over, scenes? Here? All over South Carolina. I think it's South Carolina or North Carolina. It's a buddy of mine from high. Uh, buddy of mine from like elementary school on. Because I grew up in a really small town. Uh, super big wrestling fan when we were kids. He got me into wrestling when I was a kid. Uh, and now he is a ring announcer. And uh-huh. he announces wrestling. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I got a feeling that the first half hour of that podcast is going to be me talking about Ric Flair and Macho Man Randy Savage. With Woo! <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> great. <Flair> flop. <laughs> so uh, we've got all those episodes coming up, and you've tuned in to an episode called A Variant Edition. Uh, well, we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about stuff. You just got back from a trip, my I friend. I did just get back from a trip. Uh, you went to D.C. Yeah, uh, I spent I spent a week in D.C. To start your campaign for president. <laughs> yeah, yep, I'm running. Yeah. Uh, never Trump. Uh, What's your platform? <laughs> my platform is comic uh, books. A, a comic book in every <laughs> child's hand. <laughs> a comic book in every pot. Uh, <laughs> a kitchen in every house. <laughs> in every, yeah. But we're uh, yeah. So I was in D.C. A for a week in every wardrobe. <laughs> An ice man in every ice chest. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and X-Men for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so I was in D.C. for a week doing some stuff with uh, National Education Association. I was there with the Arizona Education Association. Uh, and we have our, our yearly business meeting. So I was there for a week hanging out in D.C., uh, cruising around. And it was good times, man. It was good times. And uh, I I want to talk to you about this because okay. you, you, you're, you're a social media monster. Yeah. You do it right. <laughs> Um, and one of the things you posted was your packing for this yeah, trip. Yeah. And I think you packed like three pairs of socks, a t-shirt, and then 12 comic yeah, trades. Almost right? 12. Almost 12. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty. How many, what did you bring? You brought some of the summer reads with So you. I brought Doc, I brought Doctor Strange with me. I brought all my ghosts with me because I've got to reread it. I read it a while ago. I'm going to reread it again that's for the show. That's portable size though. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a portable size. I, I just got Rebels. Uh, so that, that one from Dark Horse, it's about, uh, the American Revolution. Um, I brought, uh, what else did I bring with me, man? Um, oh, I picked up three or four books while I was there. We're so, talking on the podcast, dog. <laughs> so I picked up, I, I, way too much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't read it all. I brought saga volume six with me. I, I, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's what the other one was. I saw that. I was like, Ooh, he's already got it. Yeah. I haven't read it I yet. Jealous. I didn't get to read it yet. I was yet. jealous. I, um, I, I saw that and I go, cause you're like me. I when I travel, I think trades are a great thing oh, to read on planes. Perfect. A couple of things though. One, it does you do take a uh, you, it does take a lot. You're carrying a lot of weight yes. with you, extra yeah. extra baggage, which is no go for travelers. Two, are we are we living in a society where we can read oh, totally, graphic novels as adults on planes totally and not get and not plane. get not I'd, get weird looks? I wouldn't have read Saga on the plane. That would have been a no go on what about the plane. Sex criminals, probably not that one either. <laughs> I did read Rebels on the plane, uh, which was a pretty good a pretty good one to read because it, it's pretty looking and it's about the American Revolution. I figured if I'm going to fly to Washington D.C., the seat of government, I should probably. I, I thought that was a good one to read on the way and out there. All my ghost, um, very adult book. But looks like a child's book. If if you it's like squared off, it looks like a, like a Bernstein Bears like a little like a little golden book. Yeah. So if you're sitting on the plane reading that, like you're definitely not hitting on the stewardess. I, I think I think you think stewardess are are like sorry flight attendants, Josh. Our Don't age. be crude. I think you think they're our age now. They're all like much older women who are no. I only fly place. first class, bro. Man. Uh, all the all, all the flight attendants that I deal with are tenants, <laughs> they're, they're first class. So yeah, you so you 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 brought comics yeah. with you and then you bought comics I did yeah so I figure if I'm in it so whenever I try whenever I go somewhere so when we we go to vacation in uh, California every year and I always try to find a comic shop to go to because while I'm there I'm like oh I'm here I want to get a vacation comic mm -hmm. uh, so we went uh, I'm in DC I'm cruising around my very last day there I didn't have a ton of time before my plane left oh I did have a lot of time before my plane left but I was like okay I'm going to go to the Smithsonian and then I'm going to and then 
I uh, and then I, I decided I was going to go to a comic shop. I went to the Smithsonian. I checked it out. I had some time, because as as one is inclined to do in DC, right? I believe it goes uh, the White House. Yes, you got to go see uh, the Abe Lincoln yeah. uh, Memorial. And I did and then, that. And then the third thing is comic book shop. Right. I was right. I was there for a week, and so like every morning, not every morning, but a lot of mornings, I went and ran, and so I saw all the monuments in the morning, or we'd go check them out kind of at night. And so I was like, I saw all the stuff I wanted to see, and I didn't have enough time to go to, like, uh, the Smithsonian Art Museum. I didn't have enough time to do that. There was no way I could – I didn't have three hours to walk around a museum. (laughs) And so I hopped the Metro, and I found this comic shop in there. And uh, our buddy Dan, your your friend Dan, who's been on the podcast before, he and I had talked about going the night before uh, because they had, like, a big event on Thursday night. They had, like, Korean food and, like – and indie artist was there and all this stuff. Nice. Uh, but we didn't get out of our meetings until like 9.30. So like the last day of business ended 9.30 at night. And so it was a wash. It was all done. So I had time the next day. And I'm like, I'm going. I took the Metro over there. Uh, checked it out. Super awesome shop. Uh, Phantom Comics in D.C. It was super nice. It's like above a subway. So like it's like. An, oh, like, it's got that like yeah. real kind of grungy feel to it. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. And. and you know, you go up this little, you know, this little stairway up to the top. It's a nice sized, uh, nice sized place. A bunch of books, a ton of indie stuff. Like, I was in like indie comic book heaven. Like <laughs> they had like a table of indie stuff. I was like, ooh. ooh, and I was like, oh wait, we did that one on the podcast, and we, it was like, nice. It was like a table of she like dropped off some flyers. It was like a table of stuff that they that they kind of liked, and I said, oh, there. Um, I was talking to uh, one of the gals who was working there. I can't remember her name, and I don't even remember if like. You know, we like she told she told me her name, uh, but I was talking about stuff, and she was like, "Oh, uh, do you know this?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I love that artist." And we kind of bounced back and forth, and they had Persepolis on their table of stuff that they wanted to read. Oh nice! I'm like, "Oh, we, we did an yeah. episode on that," and they had Andre the Giant. I'm like, "We're doing an episode," so I just kind of told her about yeah, the yeah. podcast, and uh, she was like, "Man, this store seems like it's like this store seems like it's a good store for you." I'm like, "This would be an awesome store. I wish this could be. <laughs> I wish this was my store. It's a real cool place to go." Uh, but she, uh, when I was there, I got comic books for everybody, right? Uh, I bought myself um, uh, uh, Simon Roy uh, collection of weird sci-fi stories. He did Ooh, a, bunch, cool. a bunch of short nice. comics. So that was a guy. Remember we did? If you think way a long time ago when we did um, Profit, yeah, yeah, the yeah. first artist on Profit. Oh like, yeah, I yeah, really he's like great. He's great. He's great. It was just a collection of his black and white stuff that he's done, like old stuff that he did and some newer stuff. It was really good. It was like just a bunch of sci-fi genre books that I really enjoyed. So we we did that. I picked that one up. I picked up Renner a uh, a book called uh, Brobots and the Kaiju Kerfluffle. Oh, <laughs> so, nice, nice, nice. So uh, um, that one's a kind of cool one, a hardcover. Uh, Oni, I think it's Oni Press. I'm gonna have to. I'm, I'm probably wrong. I don't know. So I'm gonna say I don't know if it's Oni Press. Yeah. Or. Uh, but a hardcover comic book for kids. And then I was in there and I was talking to this girl and she's like, I think you'd really like this. And she handed me this one. It's called The Last Man. And it's uh, like a French manga. It's kind of manga style. I saw the cover of that in your in your like tweet yeah. or something like that. It was yeah. interesting. Um, and it's kind of like this town uh, where this young kid, there's this fighting tournament every every year. And he wants to be in this fighting tournament. As one is and, one to do. And he's a young kid and it's his, it would be the first time he could enter into this tournament. Uh, but his partner, who's also a young kid, gets sick. So he can't do it and he's really bummed out that he can't and all of a sudden this like giant like this brutish uh like tough guy comes and shows up and he doesn't know he needs a partner for it so it's like this like tough uh kind of like gruff suave guy and a kid in this fighting competition is it all one story one arc 
Yeah, well, this is I think they're on the third volume, so this is oh, the okay. first volume of it. And so, you know, it's kind of like you get to know the characters, you get to know about the world, and uh, the tournament begins, and you see them fight in the tournament. But people have powers, like they can summon. It's like a very like Naruto or like the Last Airbender, yeah, 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 yeah. summoning of powers Air, to do Air, stuff. Last Airbender, yeah, it's a lot of Harukens <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. But it was really cool, and I liked it, and I thought it would be up her alley, so I, I gave that to one to Grayson, and then I, I uh, kind of perused around and looked for stuff. And had I had more room in my backpack, I probably would have brought. You more. should have bought like a comic book duffel bag, <laughs> right? And, and brought just more, just comic books, more comics. Bought in. more comic books. So comic yeah, books. traveling with comics, I actually I they're fun to read on planes because you can like it's you know trade you know done in like an hour yeah, or two like, hours it was great, a great I read it's just, it it's just hauling them around yeah. and then you be prepared for some looks be prepared oh. for some looks from some people I read Doctor Strange at the Denver airport and it was the best thing I did with my life I was listening to like <clears throat> so I had a layover in Denver for like two hours so I land at the Denver airport I grab a little bit of food I go sit, I eat my food I sit down uh, and like I put my headphones on and I'm, I'm listening to like some 60s psychedelic rock while reading uh, Doctor Strange. In the white room with black curtains <laughs> it, it at was, the station. It was fantastic. It was like the best thing I've done with my... It was the best thing I did on that trip. Uh, <laughs> and it killed some time. So it was It was good. Speaking of uh, uh, the trip and killing time, did you happen to catch any Pokemon on this trip? Like, what's uh, the deal? Isn't everybody catching Pokemon right now? I, I, I haven't I haven't done it yet. Here's what, here's I'm, what not against, I'm not against it. I know you're thinking like, oh, Travis, you're too cool for this. I'm not. Here's what I want to know, Travis. You I'm, you are a man I'm who a, man's a young man. man who grew up in Japan. We call them pocket monsters. Yes. Right? Was How big was it when you were in Japan? It was it was pretty big. I mean, uh, Pokemon... Did you play it? Um, I did not. I think I think I bought some cards. Yeah. They were the, they're Pokemon cards, but they're in yeah. Japanese. And I didn't know the rules I bet you it. could, like, seriously, like, hawk some Japanese no, Pokemon cards. No, probably not. Cards. I mean, if I had them, I probably would have found them by now after yeah. all the cleaning I've been doing. But, um, yeah, it was it was a big deal over there. I, I didn't play it. We had some Japanese friends at my school over there, and they played it. But, uh... I, I just was used to seeing the characters everywhere. Yeah. Like that Pikachu was was, was everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, uh, I, I was a little old for it. Well, that's like, like for me, I'm three years older than you are, yeah. and so I was too old for. It. I never played it. Yeah, I never played the video games. I never played it. Uh, but I have a son who loves some Pokemon. Oh yeah, but doesn't play the card game yet. That's that's probably. I don't know if it's too hard or not for a five year old. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The he rules he uh, likes the cartoon. And Pokemon Go came out and took over the world. I don't know if you noticed so, that or not. Explain to me this how this app works. So you've done it, right? Yeah. No, you, I have it. Yeah. You, so like, I downloaded it while it came out while I was in Washington. So I, I had to get it. So just because everybody was a bunch of us nerds are at this thing. Okay. Uh. 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 Pokemon Go. Oh, that went well. <laughs> yeah. That's you. That's me. Your and avatar. You walk around, and as you walk around, you can see right now we're just in my house, so we're not going to walk anywhere. But this is like literally it overlays. <gasps> There's, a Pokemon. There's a Pokemon right there. Let's we can get a crab. You ready? Uh, a wild Paras oh, has goodness. arrived. So I got to throw out my my Pokeball at it. Oh, I missed him. Not very good at How this. How do you like to aim? Yeah. Oh, oh I hit him, and I caught us a Pokemon. Like, you don't have to be, like, in front of it. It looked like it was outside your house. Uh, well, it it's kind of like, are you close enough for it to pop up on your screen? Then you can then you can touch it. Then you it. can catch it. So you but just, like, walk until You walk around, up. and so you can see that right there, there's a, uh, there's a Pokestop. And we're too far away from right now. But in my community, there is a Pokestop. What's a Pokestop? A Pokestop, you go there, and you just, you have to walk to that monument or that thing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and then you spin the little wheel and it gives you stuff like more pokeballs or other stuff you need. I think this is a way to get nerds up and walking around. I like it. I like the, <laughs> I like the I mean uh, as great as apps and social media are, the one complaint you have is it's make it's people sedentary and unengaged. Yeah, no, you right? totally and if you want to find Pokémon you have to walk. You have to walk. And this is I'm surprised one just popped up on our screen, but usually you have to walk somewhere. Well, that's cuz you're playing with me, Josh, and I'm not being this, but like I am a Pokémon magnet. It's something about my pheromones. You're like Pokemon catnip. It's something yeah, about my pheromones. They just can't get enough. It's because you lived in Japan. I I've had a, before this app came out. Yeah, I've had the theory that I've been surrounded by Pokemon my entire <laughs> life. Like they're always it. in the shadows. Uh, maybe you're just some insane. people had monsters on the bed. You had Pokemon, I, I had Pokemon you had monsters. monsters. I had pocket monsters. Uh, so my son thinks it's hilarious. So yesterday we went out and walked around our neighborhood. It's like a hundred and two outside, <laughs> <laughs> but we went out hunting Pokemon yesterday. And we literally had to walk around the neighborhood, and you kind of see like leaves rustle on your screen farther away, and so you have to go walk up. To oh, those that's cool! That's cool. And Can they run away from you, or do you always catch them? Um, once you see them, if you like. You can you they're there. They don't really run from you now. Like that one that popped up on our screen yeah. right now. Do other people playing the game see that same monster? I don't know that they would. So it kind. Of, I don't know. Can someone catch it before you? I don't know. I don't know how that works. That that would be cool. There like are it, gyms it, though, and you can fight people for control of a gym. So like certain landmarks are gyms, and then you battle people at the gym mm-hmm. in order to gain control of the gym well I and now I, I have seen the cartoon a couple yeah. of times um, and I the premise of that was like you like they're con- they catch Pokemon but they also like they're constantly training Pokemon, it's like right? a dog fight with Pokemon yeah but it's, so my Michael Vick is, loves Pokemon. once you catch once you catch one of these Pokemon yeah on your Pokemon go app um, do you have to feed it is it like then it becomes, no it's, it's not like, like, a it's not like Tamagotchi it's not like Tamagotchi <laughs> <laughs> like, so like once you, the idea is to catch them like because yeah. I thought like you train them to, don't they level up yeah they level up and then but do they level up in the, in the app yes and okay. so you fight other Pokemon you fight other people with their Pokemon oh so you do fight yeah you okay. do you have to find you, you go to the, the gym and you fight or I think you can find other people who are playing Renner and I were walking like my son and I were walking around and we fought we saw at that Pokestop in our neighborhood, like five other kids. Like, oh, <laughs> really? Phone. It was just funny. Like, that's awesome. People are like finding these places they, it's all over Twitter. There was an article online saying that it's a great date app, dating app, because like they meet you meet up with people two two ways. One, you meet strangers at like yeah. Pokestops, which are like the new uh, 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 like uh, men's bathroom. Men's, men's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, oh, you want a glory hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then also, they said that it's really people been using it for date nights. Like, they go it's around a cheap and, date and for you and like your wife. You know, you just like go walk around and hunt Pokemon. There you go. Uh, now, I did read an article today that people are using it to rob people. Like, there's like armed robbery at a Pokestop. They'll like just wait at one. And then oh my when God. people show up at it, they were like robbing people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because they know they're at least going to get a phone. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're at least going to get a cell phone. You are at least going to have a smartphone on. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't know how prevalent it is, but I thought that was kind of like, And then really? nerds, too. So, like, they're not going to, like, these people aren't, well, it's Arizona, though. People might show up packing. Like, <laughs> it's a possibility. This it is, is a carry state. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Uh, we, we can carry, like, you You got an AR on you? Okay. Go walk around with it. Now, you are a teacher. Yeah. Um. um how do you think this is going to affect next school year? I think it's going to make next school year suck. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. It's I was like, it's so, so hard to get kids to put their phones away to begin with. And also pay attention when they're walking yeah. in the hallways. I mean, kids are, ca- like, 
get with even with their heads up, they're running into each yeah. other. Let alone when they're like when heads they're hunting down. Pokemon or in this. the hallway. Um, uh, Mr. Buckley, can I use the restroom? You just went to the restroom. Do you have to use the restroom? There's yeah, a Bulbasaur out there. <laughs> There's a Bulbasaur. I gotta get. Uh, but no, I think like part of me. I guess you can have your place turned into a Pokestop. So part of me wants my classroom. I want to designate my classroom as a Pokestop. So when kids come to my room, they can get stuff. Oh, they can fight each other? That's going to make your life... <laughs> Don't do that, Josh. I'm telling you right now. It sounds like cool... You want to be the cool teacher? There's other ways to do it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, but but I thought, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a silly game. I don't know how long it'll last. I, I Like, all things on the internet, I wonder how long does it stick. Well, Angry Birds was around for a while, and that yeah. seems less involved. I've heard the servers for this have been, like, going up and down. Yeah, they were totally out for a while. When it first came out, uh, you couldn't get on. I had a hard time getting on at first, and then it was kind of intermittent when I would when I would be able to get on it. Now, this is all over the world, too, right? Yeah, it's, like, everywhere. And so, uh, someone was telling me, too, like, the Pokemon that you find are, like, regional. I don't know. I, I like, don't know. I, I heard that, like, you know, if you're close to the water, you can get a lot more water monsters. You've been saying you've been getting a lot of... A lot of snakes, snakes and rats. rats. Which I feel like are very, very desert. very, yeah. Arizona. Or like uh, a, a bird, Pidgey. I keep getting those. Yeah, Lots that of seems like very desert stuff. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe they are very regional. Then in DC, were you getting different pocket monsters? I, I didn't really use it all that much in DC. I kind of, like, we were inside the whole time, and then when I was out and about at night, I... It wasn't something I was I like... I like the idea that like, you'd only get certain pocket monsters in different countries. It encourages people to travel, too. <laughs> it does. Like, if you're really into the game, and you're like, you, like, your favorite pocket monster is like in the Swiss Alps. you got to go like... <laughs> I want to get a snow one. I've got to go over there. Yeah, they, they're, they've got to do that. They're going to make like really rare things that are only in like, hard-to-get places in the world. You're going to have a bunch of nerds trying to climb the, the Himalayas <laughs> <laughs> and just dying. Like, yeah. uh, you know how they use, like, at Everest, they use, like, dead bodies to mark those places. You're like, yeah, you want to take a right at the fat guy with the Cheetos, the frozen <laughs> fat guy, and then move your way up. That's Roby. That's Roby. Uh, so, um, let's see. What else do you want to talk about, buddy? We, we got, well, we got, we got, a, we got, yeah, we have an interview. time for this interview. Yeah. Uh, we got, a, so I, I will say this. We, yeah. We have, uh, Sean Aldridge on yeah, the, Yeah, Sean uh, Aldridge on, is going to be on. I, uh, from, uh, the writer of Dark and Bloody, Dark, Dark and Bloody, Bloody, yeah, you know how it is, Dark and Bloody, <laughs> Dark and Bloody, which I am reading in single issues right Are you? now. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I've finished the first two issues. Okay. I'm reading them, uh, electronically. Yeah. Um, because I don't believe the first trade is out yet. No, it won't, it'll, the, the trade. we talk well, about it on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'll just be one trade, because it's a six issue, and the sixth issue comes out this next week. I'm, I'm really impressed with the first two issues. Uh, I, I, I think the storytelling is really tight, and I think, it, I'm really impressed with our, our boy, fan of the show, uh, uh, yes, uh Scott the Gunlesky. Show, Scott Gunlesky. Uh, just really, it's cool seeing him do, um, he, he went digital. In space. Yeah. He went digital art, and yeah. so you can, I think, I think. It's it looks really good. I, I think it's it's been really. I think you can kind of see him progressing. There's some really creepy moments in the first two it, issues. Some it really gets, creepy wait till moments. you see the monster. Wait yeah. till you see the monster. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it for you, but it, so don't listen to the interview. But, yeah. <laughs> but so I had a because I th- I'm trying to reach out a little more to more artists and more writers, and I kind of had an in with Scott, so I I you know messaged him. I, I messaged Sean on on uh, Twitter and was like, hey man, I'm neighbors with Scott. Uh, we've had Scott on the show before to talk about Copperhead. I wondered if you wanted to come on and talk about, you know, uh, Dark and Bloody, what it's like writing for Vertigo, kind of how you got into it and all that stuff. So that's what we're going to talk about. You're going to listen to the interview, uh, me and Sean, kind of talking about how he broke in. He has a really great story of how he pitched, uh, how he pitched Dark and Bloody and how it happened and kind of like uh, the process of it uh, and kind of some of the other stuff he's got in the works, some stuff he's kind of working on right now. And 
another another kind of uh, creator owned thing that he's been throwing around. He's got another artist working on it with with him on it. Uh, so go ahead and uh, listen in. Kick it. Kick yeah. it out the interview. Hold on to your butts. It's a comic exposure interview. All right, uh, we've got a guest on the show today. Our guest is Sean Aldridge. I said that right, right? Yeah, you did. All right, Sean Aldridge is the uh, writer of The Dark and Bloody out on Vertigo Comics. Uh, It's just about to wrap up. It's a six-issue series, uh, and it should be coming out on trade, hopefully. So if you haven't grabbed it, pick it up. We're going to talk to Sean today about uh, being in the comics industry, uh, writing, and uh, kind of uh, how it all got started and what he's got going on. So, Sean, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, man. So, Sean, let me ask you, uh, Dark and Bloody, is this this is your first, I guess Vertigo is a big two. I mean, it's kind of the, the indie imprint of big two. This is your first kind of big two book, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess technically I had done something before for Vertigo, I mean, uh, for DC. Okay. Um, gosh, I guess it was about, man, uh... Let's say six six plus years ago, they uh, DC did this uh, thing called Zuda. Okay. Where they were trying to um, sort of launch web comics. Oh, that's right. This was their online sort of web comic thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a bit ahead of its time. I mean, it was odd because the uh, iPod or uh, iPad hasn't been hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. The, the screen ratio. Or the comics that we got, you know, are sort of, you know, this is the size we need them at, was yeah. exactly the same size as the screens for iPads. Huh. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, two years later, we it probably would have, you know, blown up. But uh, <clears throat> So I had participated in that twice. Um, the first time was with this uh, creator-owned book I have, a uh, character I have called Big Boone, which is sort of sci-fi, private eye kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, it's like of all the the B movie Hollywood science fiction of like the the 40s, 50s, and 60s had actually occurred, <laughs> uh, and so it would set everybody's like, oh, it's set in the future. I'm like, no, it's set in the present. It's just all this crazy ass shit had happened, <laughs> so it looks like the future. Um, and so you know, it was a bit, you know, fun silliness. And then uh, came in second that time. And then the next time I did it with another guy called, and it was a book called Island Alone. Okay. Um, which is about this dude who crash lands on this island full of monsters. It was pretty much just a throwback. There wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> any more high concept than that. It's like, yeah, he crashes on a, on a thing. but uh, And there's monsters. <laughs> you know? um, and it was done. It was written really heavy-handedly in sort of this Victorian, fa Victorian sort of, you know, narration and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess, you know, you know, I got a check from them, so I guess that counts. <laughs> it, that does. That does yeah. That does count. So, you know, um, Dark and Bloody is six issues, right? Yes. Six issues. Now, how did how did this pitch go to Vertigo? Like, how did how did this happen for you? I, I know, like, I follow you on Twitter. I've kind of seen, like, you're in the process of pitching some stuff right now. How did the pitch work for this, uh, and, and how did that get – how did it get picked up by Vertigo? It was uh, – jeez, was it last – yeah, two, last year um, at Emerald City Comic Con. <laughs> um which at that point I was, it was almost going to be my last, you know, sort of con and stuff. I was a bit, uh, uh, 
stalling on comics. Nothing okay. seemed to be, you know, breaking or anything like that. So it was, I was just like, oh man, you know, I've got to figure out. Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to quit, but it was sort of like, all right, I got to reassess some stuff. But anyway, so I was at uh, Emerald City walking around. And I was like, all right, if nothing else, I need to make some contacts here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, then it heard word that they were that Vertigo was walking around handing out little pitch cards uh, to the sort of surprise of everybody. You know, it had been kept very hush hush. It was, yeah. like, you know, let's we're um, looking at some new stuff. And so I just happened to be standing by uh, talking to Jeff Parker, mm-hmm. uh, his table. And he was like, oh, if you see Jamie, S. rich. You should hit him up. You know him, right? And I was like, well, I, I know what he looks like. You know, I've never met him, you know. <laughs> Um, and he's like, well, if you see him, you know, you should, you should go up and, and ask him for a pitch card, you know, and, and pitch something to him. I was like, oh yeah, sure. But knowing in my mind, I wasn't going to do it, you know, cause yeah. I don't, I don't ever like bugging anybody. And that's all that's, you know, sort of a flaw when it comes to comics that you have to be able to <laughs> but, um, and so we sat there and chit chatted for another two minutes and then, you know, lo and behold, Jamie S. Rich comes walking up and is chatting with, uh, Jeff and and Parker's like, hey, you know, you, Sean's a writer. He's he's really good. Um, why don't you give him one of those cards? And Jamie was like, okay. And so he handed me a card, and he was like, you know, is uh, you know, does this time work for you? And um, I made a joke that I was like, yeah, I don't think Kentucky plays tomorrow, so that should be should be fine because it was NCAA tournament. <laughs> yeah. like he was like, you know, undefeated. Um, and there's very few things that I'll not watch Kentucky basketball. <laughs> uh, Jamie didn't get the joke at all. Like he was just like, what? And I was like, Oh my God, I've already screwed it up. You know, sports reference. And he's not, he doesn't get it. Um, so I was like, no, no, whatever. I said, this works fine. So yeah, they had this, you know, meeting room up in their hotel. And I went up there and had two ideas. I was trying to figure out what to pitch them. And um, I was rooming with uh, Chris Sabella and Dennis Culver. And they were like, well, you know, you got to pitch him that one idea. And I was like, yeah, I know, but, you know, I don't know if it's going to. And they were like, no, no, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. So I went in there with two pitches, and um, Jamie loved them both. And the first one was, uh, at that point, it was called Moonshiner. Okay. Um, And uh, he's like, man, this is great. Let's, you know, I think this is, there's something here. And sort of introduced me to everybody else, you know, all the Vertigo editors were there at the time. And, uh. <laughs> I was like, wow, this might mean something because I noticed that, you know, other people are just kind of leaving, you know, there was like yeah. two of us maybe in the room at a time, you know, some of them were getting, you know, group sort of pitch sessions. And I was actually just one-on-one with Jamie, um, thankfully, because uh, I probably would have just, you know, sweated myself <laughs> up here, you know, having to talk to like six people. Yeah. Um, and so from there, you know, he's like, look, this guy's got a couple of ideas I think are really great. Um, and I think he's going to be working with us. And I just left and immediately called my wife and, um, and was like, I think there might be something going on here, but I'm, you know, I never <laughs> want to sell it too much. Yeah. Seems like me, but, uh, and the funny thing is, is the, where the pitch was going on. Like I was running a little bit late. Like I ended up making it just on time. My yeah. pitch thing was set up at one fifty, and I got, I knocked on the door at one fifty. Um, and one of my things is I hate being late anywhere. <laughs> like I, I just, I can't stand it. Um, and so I was scrambling, but I was trying to get 
the pitches put on my tablet to just sort of make it easier for them to read. Like, yeah. If they can read it, I don't have to say a word, right? Until they <laughs> ask me questions. <laughs> um, and uh, for some reason, of, of course, you know, such as the case of Mice and Men, that it was just, it wasn't like doing it right. Yeah. Like I could not get it to like format the way I needed it to. And finally, I was just like, well, this is, this works, you know, it looks good. Um, <laughs> so I run from my hotel to theirs, get into this hotel. It's like 150 degrees in this place. Um <laughs> And then have to go up the elevator, which is even more like an oven because the hot air is just. So by the time I get up there, I'm just sweating just <laughs> profusely. And I'm just like, this is, a... they're never going to let me through the store. I just look like some homeless dude. Who... <laughs> and I was looking for free food or something. Uh... So you, you pitch the book. It's this sort of <clears throat> Southern, you know, horror. Uh, I'm going to guess you're, you're, you live in Portland right now, but I'm going to guess that you are from Kentucky or you just have like an affinity for the South. <laughs> no, I'm actually from Kentucky. Uh, um, even though I probably still have an unhealthy affinity for, for, for being from there. But um, yeah, I grew up in Kentucky. Uh, mostly my dad was Air Force when I was young. Up until okay. I think he got out when I was eight or nine. So. Uh, but the majority of the time was um, spent in Kentucky. I grew up, I was born in Kentucky. Then we moved to, he got stationed in Michigan, Upper Peninsula. Okay. Well, the UP, that's yeah. that's an extreme place to live, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then Michigan, he got, we got transferred to Okinawa. So I lived in Okinawa for a few years. Okay. Um, which is why everything else I pitch is set in Japan. <laughs> uh, it's only two places I pitch, Kentucky and Japan. Um, no, you get right what you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've lived at these places. I just have to get Michigan in there somewhere, there and then I'll go. have the tribe back. Keep, keeping us safe from the Canadians up in the UK. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, so, yeah, I grew up. And then after Okinawa, we just sort of, he got out. Uh, and then we moved back to Kentucky, and I lived there for, well, you know, until I graduated high school and whatnot. Um, and then always sort of, no matter where I moved, always sort of ended up back there. Okay. Uh, there's kind of a, a famous saying, uh, uh, I can't remember, he was a Kentucky politician, but, uh, but actually a good one, not a <laughs> dickhead like Mitch McConnell. Um, but it's a... Uh, Every Kentuckian I've ever met is either headed home or planning on heading home. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. sort of, and it does kind of describe you. And I always that's what I always say about Portland. It's the only place that's ever kept me from Kentucky um, this long. And uh, I've lived here for I guess going on sixteen years now. So, so now I as I've I've reading Dark and Bloody, I'm, being not from the South. I mean, I'm from Michigan originally, and now I live in Arizona. So there's always this sort of like mystical quality to the South anyways. It seems like it's like America's otherworldly part, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's like there's something unknown about it because it just seems, it just seems unknown to me because I'm, you know, I, I have never really been, I've driven through the South to get to Florida and <clears throat> that's about it. And so it always seems like this sort of place that I don't know a whole lot about. And I think that and I don't know if that's true for a lot of people, but I think it plays really well for the story you're telling in Dark and Bloody that there's this sort of mystery surrounding sort of uh, this idea of, of what's going on in Kentucky, not only with the sort of like 
the guy with the possum who lives out in the, you know, out in the woods or, uh, you know, sort of the mystery of like, I grew up in, in, you know, like farm and wood country. So I, I used to go play in the woods. So you, you've got the, the boy in here going out and like hanging out in the woods all day. And I, I got that, but there's just something that's, it just seems a little, a little spookier being in the South. And I don't, I don't know why that is. Is there, is there something do you think inherent about, about, the South that lends it to that? Or, or what do you think that is? I do. I think there's a, I guess because, you know, there's a history of sort of, for lack of a better word, mysticism, you know, kind of, there's definitely some old, you know, folk tales like Tennessee. Um, and even the part of Kentucky I grew up in, you know, there's like the bell, Witch. so there's always this air of mystery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think the history of it, you know, the, the sort of, bloody history of it, I guess, plays into that too. Yeah. Um, and there is, and I think part, you know, a lot of it, uh, to an extent is how, how sparse it's populated, you know, for a chunk of the country, you know, labeled the South, when you go down there, I mean, most of the places there's, there's stretches where you don't see, you know, a house anywhere. Um, and if you do see a house, it's, you know, some abandoned one from, you know, the 1850s or something. <laughs> Just, you know, that's what we used to do a lot growing up was uh, wander into the woods. And every now and then you just find this this old ass house that had just, whoever lived there just was like, screw it. I'm not living here anymore. It just fell apart. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And so you would just go. Uh, and so I think, I think there's just an unknown in the sense that if you've never lived there, I don't, I'm not saying you can't fully appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but there's something about growing up there that, that lends itself to that sort of, and I guess probably it's the, you know, the woods, the sparseness, you know, sort of this, even while you're living, you know, even if you're living around some people, there's still a sense of isolation. Um, because it's just such a different mentality. Um, from other parts of the country I've lived in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's this sort of Southern horror. And then you've got this sort of, um, this war story that goes in the background, I guess is the catalyst to it. Uh, where does, where did that sort of idea come from for you? I mean, the, the monster in here is fantastic. Is that from something in particular? Um, you can see I did a lot of background research on this. <laughs> is, as much as I did. <laughs> so it, it's, it was just out of imagination, or, or is it from something somewhere? Where, where did this monster come from? It's, it's a great sort of idea. I love it. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's kind of a mix of some stuff. Like, originally when I had the idea, it was set a bit further back. It was set in sort of... Enough that Iris would have been um, Vietnam vet as okay. opposed to, uh, you know, an Iraqi war vet. And uh, because I was going to set it in the, like, the present would have been the 1980s. Uh, okay. Because, again, it goes back to that. I, I'm, you know so Kentucky in the 80s? Like some other day, decade. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, make this one in the 60s. I'll make this one in the 70s. <laughs> um, and so then it was like, you know, hey, let's you know, make this a little bit more contemporary and move everything up. But at that point I had already had the the monster sort of figured out. Um, and was sort of just going through, like, I was like, where's some, you know, something I can tie it into. So some of it came from sort of the Philippines, uh, Southeast Asia. And then, uh, 
when we switched it, I was like, crap, man, I really love the, the idea of this monster. Um, so I kept digging around and it sort of occurred that other, other regions had a sort of similar mythology to this thing where it's these sort of birds of sorrow or these sort of, uh, like vengeance demons mm-hmm. who are similar enough that I could be like, you know what? I can meld this and make this sort of one creature and then I'll just play it up myself, you know, like, um, and so that's where it came from. There's actually a real, I could not pronounce it to save my life. What the <laughs> name of it is. Um, that visually most of it comes from, and that's sort of a, a Southeast Asian, uh, myth of this, this sort of creature that, pulls itself it walks around during the day normally mm-hmm. and just looking like a regular human and then at night it sort of yanks its torso off of its legs um and then flies around you know <laughs> killing people it is this really sort of like it's such a slow burn i think that that's one of the that's one of the coolest parts i mean you've got you've got six issues of this but you take like a good time before we see the full-fledged monster and so if there's this real tenseness to like Okay, so what is this thing? Like, I know something's not right, you know. And it's it's a great buildup. I, I love I love how um, we have to wait to see it. And so, like, you know, there's bird motifs through the covers and stuff like that. So you know it's something. And and you see the the scene where where uh, the mother passes the you know the the crow or whatever to uh-huh. the to the daughter, but you don't see what the full fledged of it is. And once you do. It is such a cool image and, and such a cool monster. It's probably like contemporary right now in in comics. As you know, I'm reading single issues. It's probably one of my one of my favorite sort of monsters that's out there. Or like, and it's I, I like I don't want to call it a villain, um, but it is this real kind of cool design. That it how much of that was um, how much of that is is you describing it and how much of that is like Scott running with it when I'm it, talking about working uh, with an artist as a writer, how, how, how does that pairing work for you guys to, to design something like this monster? Well, I'd given Scott the general sort of description of it. Like this mm-hmm. is what it looks like. You know, there's sort of this crow look to it. Um, you know, the toy, the guts hanging out, but in, but he just took it to another level. Um, you know, always you always sort of, when you're a writer, you always think, like, I wonder how somebody else would have handled this, you know, mm-hmm. just because it's like, you know, he did such a great job. It's like, man, if it wasn't for Scott, <laughs> would this have sold? If this had been somebody else with, you know, sort of less chops or something, um, would it have been visually striking? And then... He kept sending us sketches, you know, hey, what do you guys think about this? And, um, of course, at that point, I'm just like, I love everything, right? Like, it's, <laughs> but you say, I'm just so, you know, high off the excitement. I'm like, this is all, this is all, the, it's the greatest comic I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but I think he, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter that how much of a description I'd sent him. Mm-hmm. It ended up being that he just couldn't pull it off. And I think he pulled it off. And then the colors that Trish threw on it. Uh, yeah, Scott added enough. He did the, like, it just came out way better than I could have ever expected. Because, you know, it's, when you look at the description, you can, there's two ways it could have went. You know, it could have been like, wow, this is really up and creepy. 
Mark could have been like, this is the corniest thing I've ever seen. It but, definitely it definitely looks fucking creepy. It definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely does. And then Scott threw on some like human teeth in the beak, and we were all just like, that's just, <laughs> you know, it's beyond creepy at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean, like something about human teeth being in the wrong place is just, <laughs> like, takes it just to another level. It's just like, oh, what? He's like, well, I didn't know. Do you guys want me to take them out? And we're like, no, no, that's just like... Even weirder. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, a, I can't express how much of a like, you know, quote unquote godsend Scott and Trish. I mean, Trish sells so much of it too with her colors. Yeah, the colors but, are really the colors are really good. I really like sort of it's got this sort of warm feeling to it. I guess is the, the best way to describe it. Um, throughout, you know, they're in the the kind of oranges because it always seems to be almost sunset every time. <laughs> But it, it gives it this sort of like, and that's like, I think sort of like, when you think about it, that's like an eerie part of the day when you can't see everything right, when that, when that, when that sun starts to set. And I think it builds that sort of, that tension really well. And it, you know, it's, it's a great book and, and you guys have, you guys are in this sort of first wave of, you know, this sort of rebirth of, to use a DC term, of vertigo <laughs> that, that's happened this last, you know, year and a half as all these, you know, new Vertigo titles have come out. Um, was there, I mean, you were at that pitch thing. Does this seem to be, do you have much contact with, with the other folks that are, are writing these books? I mean, what's the mood like for these Vertigo creators that are kind of doing this new stuff that's coming out on Vertigo? Is there, is there, does it feel, I mean, how does it feel to be a part of that sort of new birth moment for Vertigo comics? I think, I mean, for me, I can, I, you know, I'm just so appreciative of the opportunity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's my first, I'm just like, man, I can't believe this is going on. And then when Jamie was telling me like, you know, Hey, here's the other books we've got coming. Um, I'm just thinking like, man, I hope I don't cost you your job. Right? <laughs> it's like, I'm not, you know, it's, it's Darwin Cook. It's Gilbert Hernandez. It's Gail Simone. Mm -hmm. it's, you know what I mean? It's like all these, to me, people who I'd been reading and sort of, I was just like, man, I don't know if I, if I fit in with this, you know, this is a lot of pressure, but I think, I mean, from whatever I can gather, I mean, I probably talked to Mitch the most from Sheriff. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about it and just that, you know, there's some really quality, good stuff that they're putting out that I think is different than say, you know, I mean, you know, the default comparison's image, you yeah. know. What is it how does it stack up against image, you know? Um and I think Vertigo, the stuff Vertigo's putting out now is stuff that you wouldn't like image has their their sort of for as varied as they are, there's sort of a um an overall feel to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh you almost sit you know, like I know what this you kinda get a little bit of what the book's gonna feel like when you see image on it, you yeah. know. Um and that's no knock against anybody or, or them at all. Uh, and I think with Vertigo, that can't sort of, you know, over the years that built up. And I think a lot of these books take that back to, you know, but I know all of us, I mean, Gail, I know I, or from what I've picked up, you know, being on a panel with her here and there and just seeing her talk online, you know, like clean room is really, really important to her. Um, you know, you've got Kurt doing, you know, Astro city. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that book is, you know, near and dear to his heart and stuff. And I mean, you have Tom and, and Mitch with, with Sheriff. Um, again, Mitch, you know, loves working on that book. And I think they're, I think we're all doing everything that 
we're doing is from what I've gathered is, is really important. You know, it's not like these were toss away stuff or something like yeah. that, or, you know, like, well, image wouldn't do this. So let's just, you know, pitch it to that. I think there was a really like, let's help rebuild this sort of, yes, you know, it seems like there was an effort to do that, that there's a good variety of books, but they all have, you know, there's, this always this dark undertone to a lot of them. Uh, that's kind of cool. And it's that vertigo sort of, you know, that thing that Vertigo's done well. Um, so now I know that this, this book is ending. What, what do you got? What do you got in the, in the works, man? What, what's going on for, uh, for Sean? What, what do you got lined up or what's your, what's your plans right now? Well, I'm going to, uh, try to get some more books out. Um, I'm pitching to a couple of places now. Uh, I'm so dumb to the, the comic book rules, but, uh, so I don't know if I can say who or what. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know either. So. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I have something else in it, Vertigo. We'll see okay. how that goes. Um, and then a few other places. And then I actually just sent off the script this morning. I, I've got an eight-pager, eight-page short story in uh, the next American Vampire anthology. Oh, uh, awesome! Which comes out September, I believe. Uh, and that was super intimidating. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big deal. Yeah, uh, because that's probably I mean I've worked on other people's characters you know to a to a certain extent before, uh, but on a much more you know it was like an indie character you know it's like yeah. nobody I don't want to say nobody gives a crap but I mean you know it was it was a different it's like a buddies dude yeah you know, yeah suddenly like hey here's these characters that Scott Snyder you know, <laughs> okay, don't fuck them up you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, make them good because you're going to be in there with like all these other like top top level <laughs> talent you know uh and so i sent that i finished it up the, the second draft so i have that coming out that's that's solid um and then me and uh this girl sarah barini i hope i pronounce her last name right it's one of those like the name's so simple but you know there's probably some weird, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's probably some weird accent you're not picking up on it um her and I are pitching around this idea. I can talk about this because it's, you know, um, it's not anywhere solid, but uh, that's about um, Paul Bunyan's daughter, mm-hmm. and, uh, John Henry's son. Um, that's called like a, a, a lifeless legendary. And uh, it's about her not wanting to be sort of following the footsteps of Paul Bunyan and being this like, you know, American folklore legend. And she just wants to run around with her pet, pet raccoon. <laughs> but then an evil Johnny Appleseed shows up who's become like this eco-terrorist <laughs> and uh, like kidnaps Paul Bunyan. And so her and John Henry Jr. have to go like, you know, save the day kind of thing. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty interesting. I like that sort of that play on that, that sort of American folktale sort of thing. That's a, that's a yeah. cool idea. Well, no, nobody had ever seemed to touch it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see, you know, I was just thinking one day, like, you know, you see everybody, you know, everybody plays with Greek mythology yeah. and all that. And granted, most of those tall tales were written, you know, much later than they were purported. You know, they, it wasn't yeah. like word of mouth. Well, Paul Bunyan sort of was, but, um, you know, it was just some dude in Kansas city writing them up to fill space in a newspaper, you know? <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, this could be fun to play with. And there's some dynamics. You know, you've got Paul Bunyan and Johnny Appleseed who are, you know, on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, John, Paul Bunyan's running around chopping down trees and Johnny Appleseed's doing the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So I figured, you know, they probably, you know. 
probably this, butt heads a little bit. World. Yeah, they probably didn't get along. You know, being like, you're an asshole. What are you chopping down these trees for, you know? You, this uh, is why I have to plant so many of them is because you keep cutting them down. Exactly. <laughs> so there's that, and that kind of deals with, you know, sort of, you know, parent, parental, you know, shadows and growing yeah. up, you know, under the, you know, because you look at John Henry Jr. and it's like, man, you know, your dad gave his life to save this community of people. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your thing? You know what I mean? What, what, what are you, how are you going to compare? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then just a few other things that are just, you know, um, still in the, the sort of, you know, I pitched it. Well, you know, it's out of my hands now. Yeah. You know so I mean? I'm going to ask you a question because I know that you've posted some stuff about this before. You have like a short, a short little comic you did on uh, on Mr. Miracle. Uh-huh. And and uh, and Bar- and Big Barda, uh, what is your affinity with this? So I'm going to ask you a question because I think that might be the answer. But my my question to you is if so, DC is going through rebirth. They're you know releasing some new books. They're kind of I, it's it's a reboot, but it's not a reboot, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you could, if there were if there were a character you could pitch for rebirth that no one's messing with, uh, who would it be and why? Um, well, obviously at the top of the list would be Big Barna and Mr. Miracle. Um, one, I don't, man, it's one of those things where sometimes it's hard to say why you love something so much. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, the appeal is, is that I think that book could be different than anything else that's on the shelf. Um, simply for the fact that it's one of the few comic book couples who have lasted without being sort of, you know, ripped asunder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or mind wiped by... A dude with a fishbowl on his head. Uh, and so they, they, and I think they're just fun, you know, like they're, you know, I don't know how, you know, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, quote unquote married couple appeals to, you know, the 13 year old kid or something like that. But I think there's something pure and fun about their love for each other and the, the dynamic of Barta being this larger than life, you know, and Scott's sort of just this regular sized old dude. Yeah. Um, who's just and, really uh, good at escaping stuff. Yeah, yeah. Who's, you know, <laughs> just happens to be the world's greatest escape artist. Uh, well, I guess the universe is the world's greatest escape artist. <laughs> but um, so there's that. I mean, I just think that you know, there's some. I don't know. I just think that those those two deserve what? at least a chance, another chance of like running running a book for a little bit. And, um, and I think the stuff that you can say with those two isn't necessarily, you couldn't really say those with any other characters. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't be all love and gushy. You know what I mean? I'm not writing a 19, you know, 40s romance <laughs> comic. No, but, but you know, I think you're right. I think like, uh, at, there's, there's not a lot of that in comics. And I mean, they're starting to play with that in, uh, the new Superman, where yeah, yeah. you know Superman and Lois are living on the farm, um, but but I think you're right. There's 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 a history there, but then there's a history that maybe isn't is front and center as it is with like Lois Lane and, and Superman that that you could dive into and have fun with, and I you know that that isn't there. There's not a lot of like husband and wife superhero team, and how, and how does that work? I mean, uh, Tom is kind of he played with that a little bit in with Vision, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that that's kind of a, it's kind of a cool area to explore where, where this couple, you know, not only do they have to worry about, it's not just like, well, this is my, 
you know, my sidekick. This is, yeah. you know, this is more than that as they, as they're, as they're going through that. I think that's kind of a, it's kind of a cool concept to do. And I, my thing is, you know, the one thing I always say and uh, about the two is that Barda is the only thing that Scott's never been able to escape. Yeah. Um, and I it, think there's something nice to that, that sort of approach of it, you know, um, cause one of the takes I had for a while was that Scott's kind of done, like he just wants to done, you know, done saving the world, saving the universe and stuff. Uh-huh. And Barda sort of is like, Oh, okay. I am too. But really she isn't. So she always finds some way of getting them into trouble just <laughs> so that he's forced, you know? Yeah. Um, cause she likes smashing heads, you know, and Scott's sort of just at this point, like, you know, I just want to, re- I just kind of want to relax and maybe be, maybe have like a stage show in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like that's, that's it for me and I'm done. And, and Barda is just kind of like, Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh. Look, here's some dudes robbing a bank. We've got, you know, <laughs> I accidentally turned on the mother box. Now there's all these parademons attacking, you know, whatever. Um, so that kind of stuff, you know, humor and everything like that, they would be up there. And then, man, I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, I've always wanted to do Kamandi, but I think that's, you know, there's probably 8,000 people that would say the same thing. There's, they're doing a Kamandi, uh, like a handful of writers are doing an issue apiece, right? Isn't that, I thought yeah, I did that. Yeah, I was almost on, almost a part of that. Oh, um, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. You know, it yeah. was, you know, it was nice to have my name. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, and they were kind of like, who? <laughs> no, I was kidding. I, I don't know how they responded, but I mean, obviously, you know, it's, I think it'll be fun. I think it's an interesting take. Um, um, cause I think there was the DC challenge from way back in the day that yeah. the same approach. And, uh, so then, but I mean, I, I guess, I mean, obviously the, you know, the default answers are always Superman, Batman, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if we're gonna, if we're gonna shoot, you might as well shoot for the moon. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, I would love to write Superman and Batman, but for me, the appeal has always been sort of these lesser known ones, you know, sort of, you know, the commandies or take Blue Beetle, Ted Kord and yeah. with him. Um, and because, I mean, DC just has, and Marvel too, uh, I would love to do a Werewolf by Night. Uh, oh, that'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't put it out there as much as I do Big Barda and, and Mr. Miracle, but um uh, which, I mean, now I feel like I, I'm obligated to talk about those two at least once a week. It's, it's like part of my brand. Um, but Werewolf by Night, I would, you know, I would kill to do. I think that book could really be something special. Um, because I think if you set it back sort of as a kid, you know, I, I would. Actually, I pitched it like years ago. when Marvel was sort of relaunching or attempting to relaunch Epic. Uh-huh. Um, and they were doing it as like a showcase of new voices. So you would, you sort of wrote up a little pitch and then sent in the full script. Um, and I think it lasted like three months until they realized that like everybody who read a comic was going to send them a script. <laughs> uh, and they were, you know, obligated to read all of them, but it was sort of, it dealt with uh, the original Werewolf by Nights, like kid, mm-hmm. um, this illegitimate son he had um, from all of his like running around in the seventies. Um <laughs> And that kid turns out to be a, a werewolf. So it wasn't, and it didn't play too much on, you know, because the werewolf is, you know, a proxy to uh, puberty has sort of been done. But yeah. it was more of a, it was more of a trying to find yourself. And, you know, here's this, you have this legacy of this guy who, who you never can saw in your life, right? You yeah. know, just, you know, one might stand that your mom, you know. Um, 
But the other thing it did was tie in every single werewolf mythos that Marvel has into one, uh, into the book. So there was every, you know, anybody who'd ever been a werewolf or ever any werewolf they had mentioned, I had found a way to, they were sort of <laughs> tracking down this kid because, um, yeah, I can't even remember the reason why. I'm sure there was some logical reason why they needed him as part of the, the pack or something like that. <laughs> but, but I even dealt with Cap Wolf, you know, the werewolf yeah. Cap, Captain America. Uh, and J. Jonah Jameson's son, who was a werewolf for like, you know, I don't know, six <laughs> issues or something. It was like, it all had an explanation and it all tied back into Werewolf by Night. So. That's hilarious. So um, do you know, so Dark and Bloody is about to, when, when is the final issue coming out? Uh, it should be two weeks from now. It comes out the second week of July. Second week of July. And yeah. what's the what's the time frame look like for trades? If there's one thing that drives me a little nuts about DC, it's their trade schedule. Do you know when is this going to get collected all together? <laughs> Originally, I thought September. Okay. And I think the order code for it was September. Okay. Because um, it was sort of one of those advanced order books or something. Yeah. Uh, but I think now it's going to be the first week of October. Okay. Uh, if Amazon has any, any like that's the other reason. <laughs> I looked it up on Amazon and was like, oh, okay, it's it's now October. I think fourth or seventh or something. You know, whatever, whatever the first Wednesday in October is, I believe is when it ships. All right. So you've heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. If you want that collection. Make your way to Amazon and pre-order that bad boy right now, and it'll be in your hand just in time for Halloween, Sean. Just, yeah, yeah. Just in, <laughs> you know, it works out. You know, it does. It works out. It's a, it's a, it's a great, you know, a great series. Um, when I picked it up, I didn't know that it was a mini series at first. You know, I mean, because it doesn't really. I don't think it's said on the first cover. Maybe not. I don't think it does. But, <laughs> no, no, I think it's number one. <laughs> yeah, and so I was like, when you'd posted on on uh, Twitter that. You know, it wasn't ongoing. I was like, what? Come on. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, it's, it's so far I'm, I'm really excited to see how it's going to wrap up. You know, there's that big moment at the end of, of, the, of the fifth issue. Uh, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes with issue six. And I know that it's been written and done for a while now. So uh, I'm sure you're excited to have it out there and, and, and hitting shelves and, and people reading it. Um, I want to say thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It was good talking to you. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. All right. Uh, great interview. <laughs> so I had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. So, so we had Sean on, and I hope you, I hope you listen. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, great guest to have on. I just want to say thanks for thanks again to Sean for coming on and do that episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got. Uh, a bunch of summer stuff coming on, just like yeah, we, just we talked, talked about, about the beginning. We talked about those. So go get those issues. Um, yeah, we're it's. It, I'm. It's going to be. A, I'm looking forward to talking about these books. Um, all of them. I have. I have something to say on all these books. And uh, uh, spoiler alert. I'm I'm liking what I'm reading so far. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> you know. So um, we don't talk about books before the show, but I will say spoiler. I'm a looking. And I'm gonna like I'm it. Like it. So uh, don't forget, you can check out all the old episodes at www.comicexposure.com. 
We've got our live episode from Comic-Con and Phoenix is up. Go check that out. It was a great episode with a handful of guests. I thought it was good. Good energy. Good vibe. Good vibes. Good energy. Good vibes. You're going to be winning all the time. If you listen to our... <laughs> so winning. You're going to be winning all the time, okay? Uh, I did see Hillary while I was in D.C. Oh, oh yeah. I saw you yeah. tweet that. She came, she came and, and said, talked what to up, us. Hillary? I was like, yo, Hill. Did you ask her what her favorite comic was? Uh, I asked her if I could email her. She said, no, not right now. She said, don't email me. I'll just delete it. <laughs> <laughs> so, political joke no. <laughs> alright so uh, we're doing a podcast where we explore the backstory to that joke <laughs> it's gonna be a 12 part series like the new serial where we, we explore the background of the Hillary uh, indictment or possible indictment here and so stay tuned for that yeah do that it's called the Hillary Files <laughs> so uh, ladies and gentlemen thanks for tuning in uh, go check out the website you can follow us on Twitter at Comic Exposure we're on Facebook but we never really use it uh, facebook.com slash Comic Exposure I'm good at the social media on Twitter I don't ever transition that to Facebook very often and I don't do that stuff uh, which I have tried it several times to get into it so I'm not I'm, I'm done making promises and I'm just impressed that you're reading comics digitally. So. I know. One thing at a time. And I'm you know what? The next, gotta catch them all. I gotta catch these Pokemon, just dude. Just download, download the Pokemon. I gotta, I'm, but I'm only gonna refer to them as pocket monsters now and be really pretentious about it. <laughs> because I grew up in Japan. Yeah. Oh, you mean the, I, I was out yesterday. I caught a couple of pocket monsters, but I guess no big deal. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Next episode is on Descender from Image Comics. Uh, pick it up, read it, listen in. Uh, we'll see you next trade. <laughs>